And this is Sophie Aldred, also known as Ace, reporting for Travelling the Vortex. We've joined the Doctor as he travels the Vortex and landed at episode number 240. Come on, Ace, we've got work to do. I'm Keith. I'm Sean. I'm Glenn. How are you guys? I'm good. Very good. I'm tired. I bet you're tired. <laughs> I had a very long weekend. What'd you do this weekend, Keith? We went to Lincoln, Nebraska and Wilbur, Nebraska for the annual Czech Days Festival. As in Czech Republic, as in the country. Not as in written checks. Not as in written Right from your bank. Or Czech's Mix, which I was really excited about until I looked (laughs) it up and realized that's not what he was talking about. Wilbur is the Czech capital of the U.S. Little known fact. It was fun. Uh, my sister and my mom went many, many years ago, and my sister got a wild hair that she wanted to go again and came back in town, and so me and Sarah went with her and my mom to Wilbur, Nebraska. And we went up on Saturday. How far is it? Well, it's about 40 miles south of Lincoln. That gives you an indi- indi- oh, indicator. Four hours, four and a half hours? Uh, it's only a three-hour drive to Lincoln. Three hours. So we stayed in Lincoln. So we went up Friday night after I got up from working overnights. <laughs> yeah. So I worked 10 to 6 Wednesday. Didn't go to sleep because I had dinner with my sister and she came over and saw the house because she came in went Tuesday. So I saw her. I got to see her Wednesday and then worked overnight and went home and went to bed, got up, did the same thing again, and then got up. Had dinner with Sarah's family because her mom retired on Friday, and then drove off to Lincoln, <laughs> and got there at like ten thirty, and promptly crashed. Not a car, but into bed. You know? <laughs> uh, Did you drive the whole way? Yeah. That's how I kept stayed awake, Glenn. <laughs> yeah, but if you would have had somebody else drive, you'd slept in the car. Eh, but then I wouldn't have slept when I got to the hotel room, and it would have been a mess. <laughs> My body was so out of whack, it wouldn't matter. I was going to sleep no matter what. So, um, But yeah, it's basically this: the downtown of Wilbur, Nebraska shuts down, which it's a three-block area anyways. So... <laughs> Uh, and becomes this street festival, and there was a parade and demonstrations, and uh, there's a Czech museum, so you get to go through and see historical costumes and or not costumes. The only place in town open that day is the <laughs> Czech museum. There were some bars. Oh. Why do I Czechs? have to go to work? Everybody else is off. <laughs> Czechs like their piva, is what they call it, is their beer. Um, it's like my kind of festival. <laughs> I was like, my kind of people. Yeah. Uh, there, <laughs> there was one lady I saw walking around with a shirt saying, a check, a check walks, so a check walk out, walks out of a bar. What? It could happen. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, it's that kind of people. Uh, they actually, one of the bars in town had three different check imported beers. And I, uh, I had one, and my mom had one, and I tried hers, and they were both really good. Um, but yeah, it was a uh, street festival. With, Are they a drought or lager? A uh, lager. Uh, one was a pilsner. One was a lager. That reminds me. Would you guys like a beer? I better not. I'll fall asleep. Okay. Thank you. Though. What kind of beer? 
I don't know. Oh, then no. It's a Lucky Buddha. <laughs> a Lucky, a Lucky Buddha. Buddha. Oh, I bought that it. kind? I'll try that. I, I bought it because <laughs> we bought it because the bottle was cool, and we're, we haven't had a chance to crack them open yet. And uh, we thought, well, and Kara are big beer drinkers. Sometime we'll get together with them, and they'll have a beer, and then they'll let me know that he doesn't like lagers or whatever this particular thing is. And it was like, oh, well, never mind. I'm always willing to try one. Well, hold on a second. Okay. I'll continue with my regaling of, of, of check days. Um, and there was polka dancing. <laughs> as as one does, <laughs> as one does at a Czech festival. Yeah, it was it was fun. It was it was a time for us to hang out as a family more than anything. That's else. cool. Yeah, um, I did bring back something for you guys to try. Oh, so after Sean comes back, it's a it's a Czech pastry. Oh, I like this is a good trade. I bring you beer, <laughs> you bring me pastries. They're called kolaches. I rub the belly. Isn't it a cool bottle? They are very cool. You can tell the non belly. (laughs) Oh, maybe he stuck to the box. I don't know. I have bumps. (laughs) There are bumps on his belly for me. Dalek bumps. (laughs) I just—you can tell the non beer drinker. I bought it for the bottle. (laughs) Well, because you're going to save the bottles, aren't you? Eh, maybe. No, because he gave me this. I'm saving the bottle. (laughs) Oh, this looks like a jammy dodger. It kind of is. It's it's a bread like. Dough around jam. <laughs> Glenn, you don't have to. I know you're trying to diet. Just finished. Oh, after I gave him a just beer. finished week one, and I got a beer and a Danish in front I'm, of me. Now. I'm pretty sure it's not super sweet, so I'm pretty sure they're pretty healthy. <laughs> but, you know, see all this? This is what I'm avoiding: is this white? Sugar oh, it's, or this it's, white it's the carbs. Wheat. Yeah, well, it's not even just the carbs; it's the unprocessed or no, it's the processed. Uh, Breads, mm. but you like it? I'll, I'll, try it. I'll try it. They come in a variety of flavors. These are strawberry. Oh, that's good. I thought you guys would enjoy them. You're right. It's not real sweet. Yeah. Good. And of course, they yeah. had a lot of Czech food, which we didn't eat because it's a lot of uh, cabbage. It's like, um. You should have taken a picture of that before we ate it. <laughs> oh, it's not nearly as pretty now. It's, um. It's like a roll, almost. Yeah, kind with, of. Uh, it's almost a, a, a slightly sweetened roll. Yeah, because it's not like a, it's not like a Danish or a donut no, or no, any no, of those kind really of. No, really not. I'm gonna have to walk twice as much tomorrow. <laughs> hmm. I can look uh, the the package we bought them in because it's a bakery and they only make so many, so you got to buy them and you know while you can. How many did you got at home? Uh, actually, we only bought a six pack. Uh, I'm not as big of a sweet eater as I used to be, so. Uh, my mom bought like four different kinds. <laughs> um, yeah, Czech food is a lot of uh, cabbage, so we didn't eat a lot of that. C Z E C H. C. Z C. C Z E C H. Yep. You want to know how to spell kolachi? K. There's a, a restaurant in Kansas City called the Kolachi Factory. Or Kalachi yeah, Brothers, or, or something. C O L. Oh, I'm sorry. K O L. Told you. A C H E. No E. Just no. the H. <laughs> the factory is the E. With the the food is K O L A C H. Yep. <laughs> Auto corrected to lilacs. K O L. that's close. But um. Adam goes up uh, and hits the uh, Kalachi. I think it's Kalachi Factory is the name of it in Kansas City all the time. And what they do is they're 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 baked like um, oh, what's a good example? Um, 
it's, 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 it's like a, a, a like a, a dough that's mm-hmm. raised, but they put meat in Where'd it. Where'd you go? Oh, so Wilbur. Wilbur, Nebraska. That's not a real chick. I'm trying to think what those are called. <laughs> I don't know why, why or how Wilbur became the Czech capital, the USA, but well, that's where they settled. I'm sure. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's well, and and there were kind of Hay- Hayes, Kansas, is Germans, <laughs> and Lindsborg, Kansas. Yeah. Although that's that's a Swedish name, is Swedish. It's it was fun. Picked up some salt and pepper shakers, um, that are a, a Czech boy and a Czech girl leaning over kissing. So it's each one is the boy and the girl, and they're in their traditional outfits. And picked up some yard art too. Some yard art. Some yard art. Okay, so it's this. I'm going to post a picture. We just haven't figured out where it's going to live in the yard yet. In the garden area, designated garden areas is what I call them. <laughs> Which means I don't have to mow around it. It's that part of the yard. <laughs> okay, I'm going to finish this. I don't care. <laughs> You've seen those scrap Well you saw the one When we walked past it in Omaha uh, Those scrap metal art Where they take scrap metal And weld it together into different shapes mm-hmm. This is a monkey riding a tricycle <laughs> <laughs> It's pretty awesome And it was a hell of a steal so Do you have a picture? I do have a picture I'm going to post uh, one online later But <laughs> Oh, yes. Isn't that us? That, that, that's <laughs> so very, the two of you. <laughs> so it was a lot of fun, but very exhausting and very hot. And then we took my sister back to the airport today. So that was You're pretty off the rest of the week? No, I'm back tomorrow. You're back tomorrow. Yeah. Well, Bob will be happy. <laughs> <laughs> he called me but this morning. But then you're off Friday, right? No. I thought you were off Friday. No. I'm off next Wednesday through... The rest of the week. I didn't take Friday off because I saw you on the calendar. No, mm-hmm. I don't think so. I'll you were on the calendar when I went to put the. That's weird. This is weird. You might check on that tomorrow. Twist off? Oh, it is a twist off. I don't know. I haven't drank any yet. Let me finish my smoothie here before I get to the beer. <laughs> What'd you guys do? <laughs> would, you, would you like a, a palate cleanser before you move <laughs> from, from your. Uh... That was good, though. I'll get remember that. Oddwalla. I, uh, we tackled, um... I don't think it's a twist-off. <laughs> Did you twist yours off? No, I, oh, okay. I tried it, and then I thought it was a twist-off, and then it wasn't. Keith is very manly. <laughs> we tackled Death Trap this week, which I'd never seen, but it's kind of been one of those that I've always wanted to. Are you familiar with that one at all? Is that with uh, Christopher Reeve and yes. uh, Michael Caine? and Michael Caine. I love that movie. I had never seen it, and I love it as well. It was great the murder mystery mm. comedy kind of thing. Um, and then we watched uh, Ghost Protocol. We're continuing our Mission Impossible rewatches. God, I love Ghost Protocol. It's so good. How's the beer? I'm nope, not a fan. <laughs> it's all right. It's hoppy. Oh, then see Glenn and Cara, or, uh, uh, Will and Kara definitely wouldn't like it then. So what kind of- I'm going to finish it, but it's, yeah. Let, it's- me, let me have a sip. <laughs> You're going to find it gross. I know. I don't like it's, beer. Yeah, it's. <laughs> Product of China. Okay, well. Uh, that's really beer. Yep. <laughs> this is the most beer. That's the most beer of any beer has ever beered. Yeah, I think you taste too much of the hops. Yeah. Okay. Well, too bad. Cool bottles, though. The bottles are awesome. They've got little Buddhas on them. Yeah. Green, green Buddhas. I'm sure it was bottled by a uh, little six-year-old Chinese boy. No, they're made in... Uh, or in California. This is product of China. 
Imported by Sage Those Bell Ridges okay, in Carlsbad, go. California. Imported beer. It's from China. Oh. Bottled by a little six-year-old. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it probably was then. <laughs> or, or Yeti in a Tibetan or monastery. Or Yeti in a Tibetan monastery. That's not in China. It's in Tibet. Not according to China. Touche. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, I got one. But uh, so we, we watched Ghost Protocol, and then we went and saw Mission Impossible 5, or MI5 as I like to call it, but not as the British like me to call it. How <laughs> <laughs> was it? It was really, really good. It's I, I don't know if, because I love Ghost Protocol so much. It's my favorite, and this one's maybe right here, but they're real close. They just did Brad Bird direct this one too? No, I wish he had. <laughs> the new guy—I don't even remember the new guy's name. Um, he's done like commercials. Oh, so he's, he's another one of those. He's a fresh just, face, fresh face that kind of came along. Good but, for him uh, getting a chance. Yeah, but you—you you know the airplane stunt mm-hmm. in the in the trailers mm-hmm. that you've seen, and you can't wait. To, it's right at the beginning. They hit you with that oh. first thing. Well, that's oh wow! All the yeah. So it's like, oh, we're starting here. Okay. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, the whole movie's uh, really, really good and really, really amazing and thoroughly enjoyed it. Simon Pegg's in it a lot. Hmm. And Ving Rhames comes back and is in uh, a good Yay. chunk of it. And so, thoroughly enjoyable. Did you, after you watched all the other ones, did you go watch the Honest trailer of this franchise? No. <laughs> it's pretty great talking about uh, watch Tom Cruise run away from things. <laughs> and then this really long montage of him running, <laughs> and then this one really, really long shot from one of the movies. There's a video somewhere out there that's called uh, Tom Cruising, and it's just a super <laughs> edit of all of his running from Vanilla Sky. And I mean, it, it goes MI6, or MI6, uh, Minority Report. Minority Report, and Mission Impossible, and uh, I mean, it goes all the way back to The Firm. He runs a lot in The Firm. I'd forgotten how much he <laughs> And Tom has this very... He doesn't run just... I mean, he doesn't jog. He's never just kind of out there cruising. Oh, he, he's, he's, out he's, runs, he, yeah. he's always running with purpose. And he kind of puts his hands in that Terminator 2 thing to get a little more aerodynamic. And he starts <laughs> going... <laughs> when he runs, it's, it's impressive to watch him run. But unfortunately, we I watched that. So then every time he would run somewhere in the new movie, I kind of went... <clears throat> <laughs> well, I don't, you might not appreciate the Honest trailer as much. Cause oh, the, I think it's hysterical. <laughs> the, the trailer does point out the also how... <laughs> The same plot device is used in every single movie. Uh, you know, I, I as much of a fan as I am of these movies, I would really like to see one where they don't wind up disavowed or that there's not a mole in the agency. I kind of think we, we've run the gambit <laughs> with that. Everything t- he can do with it. We, we've run the gambit. We're done with that. Let's let's do something like, let's just go save the world. Can we do that one? Yeah, but, but no, it's good. So. What'd you do, Glenn? Uh, we garage sailed uh, Saturday only and got up bright and early, opened it up, a uh, steady stream of people, which I think kind of helped that we put in the ad, we put specifically Saturday only. Mm-hmm. So I think people went, oh, hey, here's one that you know won't be picked over by the time we get there. So where we probably only had a few two or three minute lulls, but consistent all the way till about three and then it, it died off. But I think it was because of the heat, it was so hot. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we closed up about quarter to four. And then uh, Sunday afternoon, we went and saw Tomorrowland. Oh, what do you think? Um, it's fun. It's a, it's a fun film. I really enjoyed it. There's a lot wrong with it, but uh, the message is good and the message is clear. Um, there's plot holes. Not I don't even want to say plot holes. There's there's a lot of unfeasibility in it. 
but I mean, beyond the fact that they're in a separate <laughs> dimension trying things that they couldn't do in our dimension. But aside from that, there's there were a lot of problems with it. But um, overall, I enjoyed it. It was fun. It's I, I wish it had done better commercially. I think I wish it, a lot more people had seen it because I think it's got a good message. I think it's also. Um I don't know if you saw recently they they've kind of announced the official kibosh of Tron Three. Oh yeah, that I did see that. It's it's yeah, it's completely complete. And apparently that. the reason is because Disney's decided they're going to continue to pump money into Marvel and Star Wars. Yeah. Which you know, understandably, I, yeah, but yeah. I, I kind of think maybe if Tomorrowland had done a little better, maybe they would have thought there was still that pull for original science fiction, sure. and they would have tried it. But yeah. the 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 beauty of this is it's it's an original idea and. It makes fun, and in a way, it pokes fun at all of the dystopian future <laughs> uh, movies and science fiction that's, that's so popular now. By pointing out that, I mean, there's this is a, there's a without giving too much away, there's a central crux of that particular element, but there's a reason why there's that particular element. Mm. So it, it was actually very clever. Whoops, sorry, hit the mic. It's what I want to see. No, it's at the cheap theater. I'm kind of itching more what do you, so. What do, you, what do you do with it? It's a jetpack. <laughs> <laughs> does, it, does it work? It works. It just doesn't fly. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm working on it. <laughs> that was my favorite seat. <laughs> it's right up there. What, what, do you, what do you do with it? How old was when he got kicked out? Do you know? Because that's not clear. That's what makes me mad. Uh, eight to twelve, somewhere in there. Yeah, see, I, uh, you know me and kids, though. I, I don't look at kids and go, "Oh, that's a ten-year-old." I look at a kid. Yeah, and go, yeah, but this I mean, old. You, but you got the impression <laughs> it wasn't. It wasn't tall. very long after he got accepted, right? Yeah, I don't okay. believe so. Sorry, Keith. <laughs> I just had to, that was one of the things that was left hanging. I thought, yeah, because he recognizes him when he comes back. So I don't know how he would recognize him. Although you get the impression they were keeping tabs on him. Too, oh yeah, so. I'm sure they. <clears throat> well, that, yeah. They, considering <laughs> just the scene from the trailer where they're traipsing through his house and fighting the robots. Oh, that was a cool scene. Was a cool Man, scene. that was intense. <laughs> they they obviously knew who he was. Yeah. So much. Wind, and he knew they were coming eventually. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, they were keeping tabs on dear old Frank, but. I just wish it had done better. It's such a pretty movie, too. Yeah, it is pretty. It's, it's visually it's gorgeous. Off of this thing. I love Hugh Laurie too. Man, he was such a good villain, non-villain villain. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> Misguided villain. Uh, that was it. He'd be awesome in an episode of Doctor Who. <laughs> he would be. He would be. Oh yeah. Well, I think I think they should get him and Stephen Fry and put them in an episode of Doctor Who as something, as somebody. That just would be awesome. I mean, they had um, Mitchell and Webb, the voice yeah. of Mitchell and Webb, and uh, if nothing else, voices. Yeah. Who is the Solomon Robots? Mitchell and Webb. Oh, let's see. There you yeah. go. <laughs> David Mitchell and Robert Webb? You've been kind of busy. Driving all over I, the Midwest. <laughs> Does he check capital of the United States? Well, should we move on to news then? Sure. A couple of neat items in news today. Yeah. Uh, on the heels of two apparently very successful theater Outings, Doctor Who is returning to the big screen, this time in 3D, for Dark Water, Death in Heaven. On September 15th and 16th at 7.30pm, whenever your local time, 7.30pm. 
just before the launch of Series 9. Uh, That's will, that week of the launch, isn't it? Yeah. Okay. Right before, because the launch will be Saturday. Okay. Uh, those getting to see it in the theater, uh, which there are only select theaters at this point. I don't have an exact number, but I know there's not the Topeka I Theater. I saw 300 showing. theaters in the U.S. Three, Hopefully US. they'll expand it more yeah. so more people can go. But they will also get The Doctor's Meditation, a special prequel scene to the first episode of Season 9 or Series 9. And an exclusive interview with Peter Capaldi and Jenna Coleman, hosted by Will Wheaton. So that's exciting. It is exciting. Lucky people who get to go see that in 3D. I'm thinking about making a trip to Olathe if it doesn't come here. Okay, you take off the 15th, I'll take off the 16th. <laughs> I'm, I'm taking off the whole week. <laughs> oh, I'll tell you it. that now. I haven't put it in yet, so I guess if you rush in tomorrow <laughs> before me. But my, my plan is to try to take the whole week <laughs> off. So. <clears throat> That's pretty exciting. And some other kind of cool, exciting news. Uh, NASA has released plans for naming areas of Pluto's moon. And I can never pronounce it right, so I'm going to skip it. (laughs) Charon? Charon. Charon. Yeah, I did it right. Charon. 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 Who does that? Here's here's the key. Who who discovered it? It was Charon. Because if it was a French guy, it's It's Charon. Charon. No, it's Sharon. <laughs> As we lose all our French listeners. <laughs> they think they're poking fun. Really, we're not. We're, it's all at a level. We just don't know how to say things in French. Especially Sean. He's taken two years of it. <laughs> I don't know how to say fromage. Fromage. You know what that word is? That's cheese. Okay, good. I know that because of Dexter's lab. <laughs> I know it because of Freakazoid. <laughs> okay, moving on. What's uh, <laughs> coming to the moon, Sharon? The moon Sharon. Uh, they are naming craters and different various sundries on <laughs> various sundries. Uh, basically, craters. I believe those are called topographical features. <laughs> <laughs> basically, uh, chasms and Somebody craters. Somebody bought a globe. Mons. <laughs> whatever. What's a mon? A mountain. Oh, okay. I did not know that. It's a abbrevi- I've never seen it abbreviated that way. Mons. I don't know. I don't know why, but um, yeah, on Mars, Olympus Mons is the big one. Oh. The, the base of which is as wide as Colorado. Oh, okay. I did not know. On that. Earth, they're mountains. On <laughs> celestial bodies, they're Mons. <laughs> to make them sound celestial, it must be. That's how I've ever <laughs> referred to them on other planets and moons as Mons. So if you're on somebody else's. If you're on a different planet and looking at Earth, are they Mons? <laughs> right, it's, it's Mons Everest. <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, it depends on their language. It could be. You know, <laughs> if, if, it's, if it's Ice Warian, I don't know what the <laughs> translation would be for that. I don't or, know, it's or, how you know, Sutek would say Sutek it. Sutek uh, might say it differently. <laughs> now, Sutek would probably use the Egyptian. So. Probably. <laughs> Anyways, they're going to name. <laughs> There's a proposal. Sutek sounds French. <laughs> the name? No, it sounds Sutek. Egyptian. Khufu, Sutek, <laughs> Akhmen Ra, Imhotep. No, that, that's that's that definitely sounds Egyptian. <laughs> Sutek. <laughs> kind of. Anyway, they're going to name. Uh, they they have proposals to name things after sci-fi shows, including Doctor Who, in which they have right now proposed Tardis Chasm and Gallifrey Chasm. 
Or is it chasm? Chasm, probably. Chasm. But there's an H, so I like to pronounce ah, it. Chasm. I got you. I got you. <laughs> you know, on the schedule. On the schedule. <laughs> we have schedules and chasms. In the UK, do they say chasm? Instead I don't of know. Sh- and the demons. <laughs> <laughs> they don't say the demons. <laughs> I know that for a fact. <laughs> and Gallifrey Macula. What's Macula? I'm gonna uh, you're gonna right have now. to Google that one. I don't. I don't know that one off the top of my head. I probably knew it once upon a time, but it's, it's a lost. distinct. Well, that's, that's a skin thing. I don't know. <laughs> well, I maybe it's a, it might be a distinct, derivative of the same. A distinct origin. spot, such as a discolored spot on the skin. So a discolored spot on the surface. It I'm could assuming. be derivative from the same. Okay. Source. Derived. Derivative from. Derivative from. Derivative from. <laughs> other, other, continuing other to butcher the English of. language here on the podcast tonight. Derivative of. Other ones that we would appreciate. Uh, Vader crater. What? Vader. Vader crater. Vader crater. Vader I crater. said Vader crater. <laughs> Skywalker crater. Uh, Serenity chasm. Ooh. Argo chasm. Should have been Serenity Valley. Yeah. Really if, we're gonna, if we're going to be, if we're going to split hairs about this NASA. <laughs> I really want to call Argo go something else. Argo, bleep yourself, chasm. Because <laughs> that's every time they said it in the movie. That's what they did. <laughs> I can't see the name that and not think that. Uh, Hell and I actually use that as a greeting sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> to this day. Spock, Crater, and Vulcan Planum. Whatever a planum. Uh, I'm assuming that's like a plateau. Probably. A plateau, that sounds French. That does sound French. <laughs> There's a Nostromo chasm, too. Chasima. 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 Well, maybe, maybe. These are just proposed. <laughs> yeah, these are proposed, yeah. Ripley Crater. So, um, I guess log on and vote for your... <laughs> just, are they doing that yet? I, it doesn't it say. Just... The names are to be submitted by to the International Astronomical Union for recommendation. Yeah. Oh, these are the... So NASA's These are the guys that name stars. They the, charge you 50 bucks and you can have a star this, named. This, these, these are the guys also that said Pluto wasn't a planet anymore. <laughs> I don't know how reputable these guys really are. At least, at least NASA's the one saying, hey, let's name him. Uh, and, and, and just hey. for the record, I'm not being sexist here when I say these guys. This is obvious because if there were women on this, they, they would have made a dumb decision. So there's that. <laughs> Would have made a dumb decision? Would not have made oh, a dumb God. decision. Oh, God. like you said, Man, would, have. I would thought not he, have. I, wow, would not let's have. just really P.O. the no, feminists no, 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 now. No, 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 no. <laughs> Only a guy would make a decision we, that stupid. That's we, not a planet anymore. We should we have to redraw be all the maps grateful that at least the idiots that decided Pluto wasn't a planet at least has a good idea of naming the features of the moon. After science fiction things, so. but I don't think that's not. It wasn't their idea, though. It's, it's NASA's. NASA's idea. Oh, it's NASA's idea to submit it to the. I got you. The guys that were smart enough to go to Pluto are the ones coming up with the names. <laughs> <laughs> They're the ones going. Hey, I got I a think name for they, that. I think they get naming rights. There. I think so too. I would say so. It's you find it, you name it, right? Well, they didn't find it, <laughs> but they went and looked at they just, it. They, they close enough. Somebody else found it, and they went and looked at it. So, so say we all. So say, so we, say all. we all. Yeah, there's no Battlestar one on there. Oh, surely somewhere. <laughs> I, I guess it is just a very small section of the. It's a large moon. moon. Yeah, <laughs> that's no moon. It's a space station. We'll be doomed. That's it for news. That's all I got. <laughs> did you? 
You probably didn't because you've been gone. Did you happen <laughs> to see the, uh, the 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 post recently of um, the big event they had just recently? And the guy asked. Uh, it was Moffat and. Um, Jenna Coleman. Jenna Coleman and Capaldi. And he asked them who their favorite monsters were. Did you happen to see this? I, I saw your share of it on, on the Facebook. <laughs> who, who, who are your favorite monsters in all of Doctor Who? And Moffat replies with the Daleks. And the crowd goes nuts. And Jenna Coleman goes, uh, well, the Weeping Angels, or maybe the Silence. And the crowd goes nuts. And Capaldi goes, the Chumleys. <laughs> <laughs> and there's dead silence throughout the Oh, episode. that's too bad. Like, nobody knew. And he just Oh, come grinned. on. It's lost episode. You know. Wow. Go Capaldi. <laughs> and he just, he just thought, he, he got the biggest kick out of that, that nobody knew what it was. I have to be honest. Until that, that um, fan video that we posted... <laughs> Oh. The Quark Invasion of Earth, which we, that was the first time yeah. I'd seen a Chumley. Oh. I had to go look it oh, up. You hadn't seen Galaxy 4. I hadn't seen Galaxy 4. Oh, yeah. 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 So, so you've heard of Chumley. I had to go. Uh, look, I've, I've heard of Chumley a lot. You've heard of Chumley a lot, I'm sure. <laughs> I had to go look it up and find out what this thing was, and then I saw Capaldi said that. <laughs> the uh, <laughs> the uh, text tone on my phone is this. what the Chumleys do. That's my text tone. My, my goal is to go to a Doctor Who convention and let that thing go off and see how many people go, Chumley! <laughs> I think I'm just going to cosplay as one. That's <laughs> a life-size a giant, a giant life size, No, life-size oh, would be life about this be big. You know, Get giant, Katrina. It'd be a giant that's what we should yeah, do. Let, let, Instead of going chumley. out... Put little antenna bobbers <laughs> on our head. We've been doing this all wrong. Instead of going out and getting Dalek blueprints... <laughs> we we should just build a chumley. I could build that. They're, I, only they're, like they're, they're this big, <laughs> and we can show up, and it can run in circles around with canine. Much less articulated yeah, little, than canine. Little, little remote control. Oh yeah, yeah. We, now, All you have to do is you just gotta get a Roomba. It has to move <laughs> a colander, <laughs> upside down colander on it, a Roomba. It has done. to move. Well, they're larger than that, but it has to move in all directions, and the little dome thing needs to raise up. That's all you have to do. That's it. That seems pretty doable. Chumleys. I love chumleys. I think we could do this. I love them. And if we ever get, since okay. I saw Galaxy Four, so, ever so. since you know when I saw first saw the Chumleys at Gallifrey when I went that year, oh, and they had the found thing. the Galaxy Four. They, they were oh. previous previous to that, and they showed it at Galley. And I looked at this thing and I said, "The heck is?" <laughs> and everybody in the audience laughed. I mean, they were all laughing at because I'm sure two thirds of the people in that room, even at Gallifrey, had never seen a Chumley other than maybe in pictures. Yeah. And it was just like. Really? <laughs> <laughs> and from then on, I love Chumleys. <laughs> so we'll just have to get, we'll, we'll make a remote control Chumley and dress Katrina up as a quark. There you go. Oh, there you go. I say, if, we, we, if, if the Chumley turns out well, we can graduate to a quark. They're oh, slightly yeah. larger. <laughs> but we don't need to do a robotic one. We can put somebody just inside put somebody the, the quark. quark. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe get robotic arms. And... Oh, that quark's invade Earth was hilarious. Man, I loved so it. much I fun, just, wasn't it? just loved that. I know Keith repost. didn't reply. You should repost it. post that on our uh, website so that people can I should see it because that was good. I think you had it on our Facebook page. But were you in jest with your comments of my question of my complaint about it? What was my my uh, my, 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 my big? I, I I found the thing very enjoyable and very humorous. My only complaint with it was that if I felt that it made the goofs a bit too apparent, <laughs> and that meaning the camera goofs, like the, the, the I, bad I feel focus. Like, yeah, I feel like the boom that, mic. It was, it was a bit over the top well, for the era. That was that. Were, that's what they were going for, though, because it was yeah. they were being sarcastic. I, and I and I got yeah. that, but I was like, eh, kind of. Eh. 
And I, I really hope they do make more. Because they left it where, like, there was going to be another episode, so... I and thought the Daleks killed all of them. That was yeah, pretty it was, much the it. End was of it. That. Daleks said, "This planet's ours." <laughs> but as the Daleks, as title. the Daleks should. So Daleks went out. <laughs> should we move on to feedback? Yes, feedback. First up in feedback is Rachel. She writes, "I wish I was in Kansas City." Mm-hmm. Dear Vortex Gang, as I'm writing this, I'm behind by an episode of the podcast, but I just want to drop a line and say hello, and also. And I also wanted to say that I am very jealous of those of you who get to go to Kansas City Comic Con and see my doctor. I wish I could say I'll be living vicariously through you via social media, but alas, I shall be camping and won't have any internet and limited cell phone use. But I do look forward to hearing all about it on the podcast following the con. So as Clara would say, spare me a thought now and then and give old Sixty a hug for me. Rachel. Rachel, I I will give him a hug when I see him. (laughs) Hey, remember the girl that cried? This is from her. <laughs> You'll probably go, oh, yeah, Rachel. Oh, I remember Rachel. Yeah, she had a bear. <laughs> the crying girl with a bear. bear. This is from her. <laughs> I was going to make a scathing comment about camping, but I'll just, I'll, just, I'll just refrain. Up next in feedback is Holly. Holly writes, Dorothy Gale McShane Nitro 9 not included. Or is it? <laughs> Hey guys, love the new design on the Traveling the Vortex website. Yay! Yay. That comes Thank courtesy you. of Glenn, who worked very hard on it. He claims. We don't really know. <laughs> we know he worked on it. I we know s- he worked on it. <laughs> I'll never keep my rec- reputation as the miracle worker if I told you the truth. <laughs> uh, a little bit of housekeeping before I go into my thoughts on this week's show topic. The August book for the Traveling the Vortex Book Club of the Month is The English Way of Death by Gareth Roberts. It's a fourth Doctor and Romana story, and I'm two chapters in, and K-9 made an appearance in the first Ooh. chapter. So there's hope he will be there <laughs> later on in the book. Well, Keith will be picking that one up. <laughs> he's, already, oh, he's on Amazon, he's ordered it, and yes, it's on its way. <laughs> and purchase. Ghostlight, The Curse of Fenric and Survival. I have to say, all these stories really show what Ace has gone through while traveling with the Doctor. Some of it was for the good, and some of it, well, let's face it, some of the things that she has to go through I wouldn't wish on anybody. She looks up to the doctor, and there's been times when he hasn't come through for her, and other times that he has. I'm glad that she's called him on the things that he did to her, and that they were both able to clear the air somewhat and continue on their adventures together. Once again, I have to say a great big thank you to Big Finish for giving us further adventures with Ace, and expanding her story even more. I'll wrap it up here, looking forward to hearing everyone's thoughts, everyone else's thoughts about Ace. Holly from Wisconsin. Thank you, Holly. Thank you, Holly. And that's it for feedback. Well, let's move on to our uh, reviews, or our topic of discussion yeah. this week, rather, because we're, we're, not, we're not specifically reviewing anything this week, even though Sean did bring up the DVD as though Keith was going to read the synopsis. I just realized it. I did and that, and I don't know that. why. <laughs> he does it out of habit. We reviewed that a um, few years back. Early. Yeah. Yeah, pretty early. That was actually the end The end of our um, seven weeks for seven doctors. Was yeah. it? The first time around was survival. Oh, okay. We at were your, at your old, old, old house. house. I remember Part, that. Apartment. Yeah. I do remember. I, 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 I remember that part. <laughs> I've, I've actually. This is one of the few Seventh Doctors I've seen like multiple, more than once or twice. I've seen it at least three times now. Well, we've done it three times for Friday night. Hoover. So at least that many times. And just before anybody says, uh, "Yes, I'm retiring it for a little bit as well," so <laughs> <laughs> it's an enjoyable one. It's, it is. An, I think it's an enjoyable one. It's it's the weakest of the Ace trilogy, but it's 
It's good. It's still good. It's got, it's got qualities. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree with that. So let's talk about Ace. Or Dorothy Gale Ace McShane. Or McShane, if she just likes to go by and sometimes. <laughs> just McShane. Well, at this point in her timeline, she's just going by McShane. Just McShane. So, Even though the doctor just continues to call her Ace. And then X call her Ace. <laughs> I think or maybe I don't know, maybe we're all coming at this from in a way kind of the same point or direction because I didn't realize until last week's discussion that you were a good boy and held off on watching Curse of Fenric. I did. Um so it was your first time actually seeing the, seeing whole, thing. the whole thing. Yeah. I know you hadn't seen it before. Correct. And I hadn't seen it before. So the Ace trilogy <laughs> in my head has always been Ghost Light and Survival. <laughs> And something happens in the middle. <laughs> yeah, I'm ready to discuss this. Let's go. It's like it's like watching A New Hope and then Return of the Jedi. <laughs> and then watching that really good story, Empire yeah. Strikes Back. Yeah, nothing happens to Luke in the middle part of that, right? <laughs> nothing. Or Han, or Leia, or... I, why would she want to go home? <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> makes the beginning of survival. So much more makes sense now. <laughs> Although I, 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 it doesn't have much of an impact on the rest of the story. No, and, it, and really, that's the only, and that, I think that's part of why survival is the weakest of the Ace trilogy is because the only Ace aspect to it, other than the great stuff she gets to do in survival, which she gets to do pretty much in all of her stories, is the connection of her going back home and her friends. Yeah, well, that's and that's that's the big thing, and it's thing. kind of the sub, a very subplot of it that kicks off everything, but not really. Involved with the other than trying to rescue them, the cat people and the master yeah. and everything. Well, that's and that's the big thing is the fact that she what what survival does best is it paints a picture of how far Ace has come since she left Paraville, how yeah. much her character has developed, how much she has changed, how much she's grown, how much she's matured, especially from Dragonfire. Because when you look back at Dragonfire, she really seems like a young, naive 16-year-old girl. Oh, yeah, that, that She's girl very bright and bouncy and, and cheerful, cheetah. even though she's still, yeah, exactly, even though she's still you know, very rebellious and headstrong. She is very young and immature, and you can see that in her in Dragonfire. By the time we get to survival, she has gone through, especially in the last three stories, she's gone through so much that she's really come of age, and she's become very mature, very responsible, very uh, independent, even though she's still being guided and tested and, and, and you know um, by the doctor. So... I think survival does a, a nice job of putting a capstone on Ace before the series ended. Yeah. Uh, fortunately, we got to that in survival, and luckily, I, I'm, I'm actually very grateful that survival was placed as it was because originally Curse was going to be the finale of the series, oh, yeah. or was it Ghostlight? Ghostlight, I think, was going to be the finale of the series. I think that had they not done them the way they did, we wouldn't have seen that expansion of her character no, through that arc. No, we definitely would have. I'll go one step further, too, is and, and definitely retroactively fixing this in my head. But her ability to backtrack with, um, with Kiara in the, in the, in the cheetah um, when the instinct takes over and everything is, uh, is flush with her when the doctor kind of comes to her and very quietly says, Ace, 
I think it's because I can see it as because of the events of what happened yeah. in Curse of Fenric that then she's able to kind of snap out of it and go, oh, he's being serious. This isn't just a, you know, the, this the, isn't fun playtime. This is right that he doesn't have to yell at her. Yeah, and 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 kind of with the bravado and you know some of the what the doctor does, he just says ace, you know, and 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 they have this quiet moment where they discuss you know what could happen, and that you could turn forever, you could do this, you could do this, and she realizes how earnest he's being with her. That well, unfortunately, we still need you. <laughs> we need you to do <laughs> well, this. Well, more importantly, but, her friends need her too. Yeah. Not yeah. just the doctor, but the people that she counted on in her youth are counting on her now. Right. Well, and and, and as much as. As awesome as Ace is previously to the story, this one, Survival, it seems like it's more of her stepping into the Doctor's shoes more than she ever has before. Yeah, also. I agree. Kind of like how Clara does at the end of Series A. Well, and I think that comes about, too, from the trials that the Doctor's put her through yeah, over the course of, of like Ghost Light. Ghost Light is the initiation. Curse is kind of... Self-discovery. Yeah, and then... Um, Survival is... Apprenticeship. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I think it would have been interesting to see them it's go a on. perfect superhero it movie is. trilogy. It really, you're right. It really is. <laughs> it, 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 not, no part of any of Ace's timeline forms her as a character as, as well as uh, these three. And I think Remembrance, yeah. while Remembrance of the Daleks is... Kind of the catalyst that kind of puts her, I think, puts the character on the path that we get. Nothing really forms a character better than the than the Ace trilogy, in my I would, opinion. I would agree. Um, it, what I appreciate about these three stories the most is that in an era of Doctor Who, where the heads of the BBC we're pushing the idea that this was a kid's show, that this was for four and up and everybody can enjoy it. They were the, – the, the writers and the, and the producers and, and Cartmel gets a – Cartmel gets a um, huge props for this. But they were still able to do some very intriguing story development while still being under the guise of a family program. Yeah. By by making the balance, striking a balance between the humor and the 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 doctor, even though you can tell he's grown darker throughout his era, it's, there are still those 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 nice little fun moments that are still captivating, and the jokes and the witticism and the fun between the two characters. But also underneath that, on another layer, layer we're telling a story that's really building upon the character of Ace. And to be able to do that in, in two layers and be able to get away with that when you've got so much pressure from above saying, you know, this is a family program, but still being able to have that underlying current that is still noticeable in the stories, I think, is, is a huge bonus for, for the trilogy as well. Yeah, I would agree. It was fun. Um, I, I spent um, the last couple of weeks, I've been um, mowing through very quickly uh, Script Doctor, the Inside Story of Doctor Who, 8689, by Andrew Cartmel. Uh, and he, he brings to light some really fascinating... I highly recommend this, by the way. You guys should should totally read this book. Um, but he brings to light some very interesting... Done? I am done with it. Well, so if borrow. somebody wants to borrow it next, you just have, it's my autographed copy. So I, I will dog ear it, and I will spend this fine, <laughs> and I will do all kinds of 
evil, evil, evil things. Evil things to it. He, uh, there's a special layer of hell for people who dog your books, <laughs> by the way. And break their spines. And break the spines. It's right next to the, the, the hell for people who talk in movie theaters. <laughs> um, one of the things that I, I didn't realize that um, Jonathan Turner um, geniusly, I think, put into motion is the official budget for Doctor Who at this time was a three-parter, or excuse me, a four-parter, a six-parter, and a three-parter. Or another four-parter. Four, uh, six, four. That was the oh, official three budget. Three stories for, for the whole season. And it was John Nathan Turner who decided that if he split that six-parter, because he didn't like doing the six-part stories anyway. He felt they were unwieldy. And if he split that up because of the way the budget was worked, that they could do half of their shooting for that six-parter on location and half of it in the studio. And he decided that if he split it up, he could do a full three-part story in the studio and a full three-part studio out on location, and the BBC would be none the wiser because he's still spending the same amount of money, but he's squeezing an extra story into this. Hmm. And that's what gave them the flexibility to wiggle around some of these, you know, uh, things that the BBC was like, well, you're going to do it this way. And this well, way, this which way. is interesting because, yeah, you've got Ghost Light, which is three stories, three parts, on all location, in studio, yeah. all in studio. All in studio. You've got Curse of Fenric, which is both studio work and on location. And then and you've got Survival, part. which is all on location. Right. Yeah. And so that's part of the magic of what made this work. And it also allowed, you know, Cartmel to hire one extra author uh, for, for each season. And um, another tidbit, just the, the, how much of um, Ace is, is actually um, Sophie Aldred. Apparently, she so loved the, the costume, the bomber jacket with the badges and everything. Uh, apparently, they uh, had a bit of a row between her and John Nathan Turner early on in Remembrance of the Daleks. What? Uh, because... Uh, she was finding new patches and adding them onto the jacket herself. <laughs> and it was creating a continuity problem <laughs> because she wasn't telling anybody or getting approval. She was just, you know, putting stuff on and he kind of blew up at her. And apparently eventually they later, you know, talked it out and were <laughs> fine friends after that. But initially he was just going nuts because she was creating all kinds of problems for him in that department. Um, What's disappointing, I think, a little bit about this book, it's a, it's a great read. It's very interesting. The first half of it is very much anecdotal insights to how television at the time was made, specifically Doctor Who. So he'll, he'll have whole things that are, you know, a breakdown of what happened during this day of shooting, that he was there for this on location, and, you know, he remembers fragments of conversation. He was an avid note-taker. So he'll talk about, you know... So-and-so asked for uh, a, a lighting cue. Why are these people pink? Well, they're supposed to be pink according to the script. No, I thought they were blue. And, you know, <laughs> different things like that to go through. And, and a lot of it is almost stream of consciousness. And so you kind of get a real feel for how that element of it is. And because of the serial nature of the show, you're getting things that, okay, the first chapter is Time in the Ronnie, which really details that. But then he kind of goes on about, well, okay, while we were shooting this, I was talking to this person about this script that's not going to happen until next year. And this. so you're still getting this kind of peppered in timey-wimey almost nature of television production with how things because while constantly the, looking ahead while the next yeah. chapter is about the next story we're still still dealing with time and the ronnie because it's being aired now and so you know that kind huh. of nature but the second half of the book is much more personal and much more this is where i've kind of given up on things because i realized that you know we the bbc doesn't get science fiction they just don't get it 
So his solution to that was to try and, and, and fake them out. And when he would talk with the writers, it was like, instead of a monster, can we do a robot? Because they seem to be okay with robots. <laughs> we, we seem to be, you know, if we make it a mechanical man, we can kind of fudge the line a little bit. He knew that if we did it with makeup versus a special effect, <laughs> that mm-hmm. we tend to be a little bit better off. And if we could at all possible avoid alien planets and instead do things historical on Earth, they knock the socks out of it, which is how Ghostlight, which originally was slated to be on Gallifrey, because yeah. it was Longborough. Uh, they just took the bits of it from that and put it in Victorian, you know, Victorian England, and man, <laughs> look how great the production looks on this. And in his mind, he says the only down part of Ghostlight is the two husks in the basement, because John Nathan Turner said we need a proper monster here. <laughs> yeah, saw that in an interview. And so, uh, you know, we I think that was an interview that you told me about that was on Ghostlight. Oh, yeah. yeah. we, we had them dressed in, uh, in proper uh, evening attire, and it became weird and creepy as opposed to just, what is with this thing in the basement? <laughs> so it, it's frustrating because I could have read all of the first book, all of the book like the first half was written and been fine with it. And I could have read all of the book the way the second half of it was written and been fine with it. It just seemed really odd. I don't know, maybe he feels a little more personal attachment to the stories in the second half of his run as opposed to some of the ones in the first half that he doesn't feel maybe got quite right or, or something like that, because that's why he's able to open up so much more about them. But it's either way, it's a fascinating read. But he talks a lot about um, his relationship with J&T and specifically how the show developed and Sylvester and Sophie and what they brought to the table. And so that's really kind of a, a cool um, facet that, got, that for me got added onto that. It wasn't quite as insightful as I'd hoped with this particular discussion. Right. Um, with I don't know why I'm rambling on about it now, but um, there's a terrific um, documentary or yeah, you know, a special feature on survival called uh, "Little Girl Lost," and it explores the character of Ace. And they talk to um, Andrew Cartmel, uh, Sophie Aldred, and the writer of this, uh, Ian. No. This uh, one was Rona. Uh, yeah. Uh, Rona no, the writer of Curse, which oh, was, Curse Ian, was Ian uh, Manny. Who was it? Briggs. Ian Briggs. And it, it, it was quite fascinating because they, they talked about the, the development of the character. And, and what I found interesting was that Sophie Aldred actually got the call for audition. And she went down, and she was nearly 20 when she got this part. And she was playing the role of a 16 year old. And when she got there, there were three other girls. And they were all 16. And she thought, well, there's, you know, they're obviously going to get this because they're 16. So she just pretty much, for the most part, emulated what the way they were and, and the way they <laughs> what they did and got the role. She also said she, she brought the leather jacket into it. She brought the leather jacket with her oh, really? to her audition. And not maybe not particularly that one, but she came down with a leather jacket. And they absolutely loved it and said, yeah, this is, this is the ace we're looking for. This yeah, Andrew Cardinal commented the first time he saw her that she was wearing uh, Doc Martens and something else. Yeah. And he says, cool outfit. Do you think yeah. that would look good on ace? And that was kind of a – She was an ace to begin with either. She was um, – She auditioned for a Kang, if I remember, in uh, Paradise Tower. Well, no, no. She was – no, the character's name was not ace at the beginning. Oh. It was um, – oh, I can't remember what she said it was. And it evolved into ace because of the, the – at the time – you know, thing you know, in the '80s when something was cool, it was Ace. You know, and because the character used that so much, that just evolved to be her become her nickname. Was the fact it was Ace? Now, obviously, I've, I've before I've heard in many interviews ready. also that 
Andrew and her sat down many times working through what catchphrases they did. They Ace talked would about use that and because they like wanted the, that one name that just pops up out of nowhere was actually a catch or a catchphrase. Something or a that she always said slang. herself. Yeah, yeah, and it's actually a bit more derogatory than it probably should have made on television. <laughs> Which is interesting because I don't remember Ace at all. From the eighties, I mean, I mean, I remember the character. A, I don't well, remember. I don't remember UK ever hearing thing. and recording. It was probably a thing. so. It must have been yeah, a UK uh, thing. Yeah, uh, yeah, UK centric, probably. Although as slow Wicked. as we get things, you know, Wicked, Wicked was I remember one thing that we, we we used here um, quite a bit in the late eighties. So as slow as we get things here, maybe it'll come around <laughs> next year. We'll start <laughs> yeah, hearing <exactly>. Ace, <laughs> especially in the Midwest, because it even it's even it's slower even from the coasts. But yeah, if you get a chance to watch that, it, it, it's quite interesting as well. But um, Ace Ace was like no other companion that we had before, because even though we've always talked about the, the kind of the apprenticeship that she had with the, the the doctor, that it was more of a student teacher relationship, and I think that that's what makes it even more adequate that she calls him professor through the entire time they're together. That. That would, she was such a different character because they brought Ace to a level where, especially in the Ace trilogy, they aptly named, <laughs> fan named Ace trilogy, it's very much Ace's story. The Doctor is there doing the Doctor type things, but everything is really told from Ace's perspective. Everything is kind of laid out because all of everything centers around Ace's life. So in Ghostlight, he, she's returned to the. Uh, house that she burnt down after her friend's flat was firebombed. And then Curse of Fenric obviously is that, that centerpiece that wraps clear back around to Dragonfire <laughs> by no the, the reason she's with the Doctor is because of this elaborate setup by Fenric. And then survival, obviously, her being the catalyst to get them home and the importance that she plays in that. The 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 doctor and and, and she said to Sylvester's credit any other doctor, any other actor that played the doctor probably wouldn't have taken such a side seat to a companion yeah. role. And no time was a companion ever until, obviously, the new series. But in Classic Who, never was the companion really kind of the driving point of, of all of the storytelling in the season. And so she said, to, to Sylvester's credit, he was very willing to do that, to be the, the almost the sidekick to the companion sometimes. And uh, it really comes through that that Sylvester is, is very was was very much in you know you, you don't feel any uh, sometimes I would think that Tom Baker probably upstaged a lot of times mm-hmm. if he wasn't in a scene as much he probably did what he could with his lines to try to upstage the other actors I don't see that so much with Davison but I see that with Colin as well even though Colin's a, a wonderful man I could see him kind of saying you know well this is kind of the doctor's role you know, he, he takes that very personal Sylvester was was willing to kind of set aside and say yeah no we're we're just going to be you know parallel here and this is this is I think probably mostly because the doctor in that situation is is, in, is the teacher is the one that knows sort of what's going on and, and, and it's easier to do with the Ace Companion than it is somebody else who's always considered a sounding board for the, the Doctor. Yeah. Whereas Ace was never really a sounding board for the Doctor. And she was Ace was a bit more of a peer. She wasn't the damsel. Yeah. She wasn't the damsel. She was never the screaming screamer. She she always her 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 role was consistent. Well she was a man of action. Grew. 
Yeah. Well, she was. she was Ian. She was Ian. If you if you would compare it to anybody, um, but as even though her character grew, her character stayed consistent. They didn't. They there was no time that you went. That didn't feel very Ace like, you know, or that yeah, didn't no. feel very, you know, out, that didn't that felt out of character for Ace. You never say that ever ever in any of the um, stories that she's in, from Happiness Patrol to Remembrance to you know, I mean, just. And I wonder how much of that is. The actress saying Ace wouldn't do that, or how much of that was Andrew Cartmel going, Ace wouldn't do that when he gets the scripts in, and tweaking. That's those a good scripts. question. I don't know that that's ever been addressed, but maybe maybe a little bit of both, especially since uh, he felt Sophie such... and 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 Andrew had sat down before yeah. and said, and kind of fleshed out this character ahead of time. Because it seems like Andrew definitely had a good grasp on what he wanted the character to be. Well, I wonder too how much of this, uh, you know with the drive to make the doctor more mysterious and take back Taking some of the back the, seat helps make him mysterious. I, 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 yeah. I wonder how much of the, you know, that played into it, that it's, it's much easier to be a little more mysterious when you're not the focus of attention yeah. and that we, we, we get the references to chess. We get the references to what a game player the doctor is and that he's playing the long game a lot in, in McCoy's era. And so I think that kind of helps with that as well, because it's, it's, it's interesting that we've had throughout the show, we, we've had glimpses into the companions lives. I mean, we, 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 we get almost a whole episode with Ian and Barbara and the teaching and, you know, the concern over a student and stuff like that. And it's a great introduction for them, but then they do take a backseat to the doctor and they're just kind of along for the ride. We, we get things like, um, you know, obviously Sarah Jane and her, um, um, journalism, Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, background and, and where she's coming from and stuff like that. We get things like going but home. But even that sort of takes a backseat yeah. later in the Tom Baker year. Oh, especially yeah. once the TARDIS starts working again. Yeah. yeah. And we get things like, um, you know, going home to see Tegan's uh, aunt, cousin. Who are we going home for? In a... Cousin, wasn't it? I can't remember. A row several hundred years too early, but. Yeah. <laughs> you know. So, so the, you know, th- there were moments kind of sprinkled throughout these, and then you get things like Turlow's backstory finally at the yeah, end of his yeah. run, where, where they, they kind of try to to widen this up and give us some some introduction to these companions, which is great. It's funny though that with Ace, it came very naturally, mm-hmm. and I almost think subtly. Mm-hmm. I oh, really, yeah. I, I don't think, even though as you pointed out, these three stories are very much Ace centric. It's Ace's story from beginning to middle to end through these three. It's not until you sit down and watch them in order with the foreknowledge that they're about Ace. I don't think that you really realize how much they're about yeah, Ace. Yeah, I, I think that's Because it's not true. until this time yeah. through, even coming into this, knowing this is the Ace trilogy, I was looking at it going, it's an episode of Doctor Who. You know, it's, it's <laughs> still the Doctor's story. It's still driving that. But it's so subtle that, no, this really is this other current that's flowing through this. And it's, it's wonderful. Well, well, and I think that, that your, your, your point is valid, that even though they tried to expand and, and, and tell character stories, companion stories as we went, from John Pertwee's era to the time that uh, Mel leaves with uh, the seventh Doctor, they, they were really kind of expounding on the mythos of the Doctor, where he is from, who he is, you know, uh, why he does what he does, you know, they, they were dropping uh, continuity hints within the doctor's life. But once we get Ace on board, 
when they that kind of took a sidestep from the story. We were still getting, you know, mentions of Gallifrey and obviously the hand of Omega was very heavy handed in the the lore or history of the Doctor, but it was done in such a way that, that the Doctor was doing things very mysterious until, and you don't really realize what's going on. And Remembrance, also, you have to remember, came in a year where they were, it was a reunion, not a reunion, it was an anniversary year. So that was, that sort of, you know, call back to, 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 to Trotter's Lane, or Totter's, yeah, Trotter's Lane, and uh, Daleks, and going back to the beginning and the Hand of Omega, which he had... That was very much in that same vein, but we were also still getting a lot of the forefront of, of Ace really becoming the central character. And so I think it's at that point that, that you're right, that maybe that's why he becomes... They, they, it was easy for them to back off, off on the mystery because we weren't telling so much of, of the Doctor's past or future or, or, or what he's doing now. And we were, foc- we were, we were dividing our attention and, and focusing more on the companion on a full-time basis as opposed to in the past with Leo Teagan and, and Sarah Jane. And on an occasional basis. Uh, Turlo, yeah, yeah, on an occasional basis. Yeah. Well, it's interesting, too, to read. I, 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 Cartmel has a really interesting spin on it that – in his words, you know, the doctor went from being this enigmatic figure that we didn't know much about to all of a sudden we found out that he was a time lord, that he was from Gallifrey, that he was a renegade, that he'd he been exiled, Tardis. you know, yeah. and, and, and all this kind of stuff was, was kind of laid out for him to the point where eventually he's a putz who gets put on trial. Yeah. <laughs> and I thought, yeah. yeah. That really, when, when you, I mean... I hadn't looked at Trial of a Time Lord in that light before. That it's 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 supposed to be this big moment for our hero to, you know, be brought to this. But he, I don't know that he should have been, you know. <laughs> yeah, um, and so for that that to be kind of his driving force to let's return to him of somebody of power that that you know has this air of mystery about him. And and I really got the impression that they were definitely setting him up to be on par with Rassilon and Omega. Yeah, no. the, the, that was yeah. there. There was no doubt that this was where things were headed. Well, and, and that's that's very evident when you start getting into and Cartmel and Cartmel and a lot of them had a lot of hand in this when the the Virgin New Adventures were coming out. That's very much the direction they went, um, while still keeping the Doctor very mysterious. Even the even the stories that I've read, I've read the first five books of the Virgin New Avengers now. And it's still very much Ace, Ace's story. And it, it's really fascinating that they were able to just continue on with with that theme and that that style of storytelling and, and continue to keep the Doctor's, you know, I think you'll always want to know more about the Doctor, but you'll always have in the back of your mind, I just don't quite want to know everything yet. And yeah. they do a really good job of giving you just enough but while still maintaining a really good story by by focusing on Ace and and I'm really excited to keep keep going in the, the new. That's the one thing with, with with the subtle nature of these. I almost wish that we would get a little more. I mean, it's 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 just the one line that we get about her friend's house being firebombed, and that this house was always creepy, and that in Ace's young mind that made an okay connection between I'm going to come back here and firebomb it because I knew there was something wrong with it. But it, it's like that in and of itself, I think, is a story. Oh yeah, <laughs> I, I, I think yeah. that's. Did you finish Ghostlight? Yes, I did. Okay, so 
one of the things that fascinated me about Ghostlight. I don't think Ghostlight told much more. A grand. He's talking the novelization. Yeah, the novelization. Did you finish it too? Right? We, I did finish it. I don't think it. I don't think it expounds substantially on Ghostlight, and it certainly no, doesn't it make really... Ghostlight any more. It makes it a little more understandable, I think. I think but it makes it quite a bit. I think what it does is it delves into the Ace idea a lot, a, a lot better than, yeah. the, than the, the, the television show did, and because we do start out with. The ace as a young girl before she meets the doctor in the house and what's going through her mind post the tragic event that's happened to her friend and what's kind of going through her mind. And it almost gives more of a reason for why what she did instead of just in the television story. We just we we rely on, you know, a lot of hints dropped back learning the backstory as this story's unfolding whereas this really kind of gives you more motive for for ace which i thought was very interesting yeah it, it definitely does and the, the other thing i think goes like the novelization does is a little bit expound on some of the other characters uh, and explore what they're doing and help explain what they're doing. More I think than Nimrod is fleshed out much yeah, better. Nimrod's a lot more, and much Control better. is be- no, Control and Light seem much less random. Yes, than the novelization. agreed. Agreed. And in the, in the, in what, what's televised because you don't, you're not in their heads. You don't know why they're doing what they're doing, and they don't really give us good lines to explain why. Oh, you don't. Although you really don't, from Control's perspective, until much later in the book. Yeah, and then you really do. So. There's as much, you know, control is one of those ones I was always, okay, I, 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 that one I can't figure out. I can't figure out what this character is. And as I'm reading and, and control finally comes into the, the into and the she story. she ladylike. Well, as she, as she's progressing the story, I'm thinking, I'm not getting any more out of this than I did in the book. <laughs> and it's not until she kind of evolves to that final point that you kind of, it really starts to take off and you understand control's motives and why she's doing what she's doing, that she wants to escape, you know, the, the essential bondage of her role in this whole thing, and that um, oh, what's the main guy's name? Josiah. Josiah has always been the one that goes out and does the you know. Uh, and, and well, and, and that's a phrase. It's almost a jealousy thing. Yeah, it's and, almost and a, a what Light called Josiah. I don't think they ever referenced in the, in the television of survey agent. Survey agent. Yeah. I never. I don't remember I ever don't hearing, remember that hearing that either. I don't remember. And just either. having that phrase. It totally makes sense. Just because, that because yeah. you get that light, that, that, that explains control, it. and Josiah. And it's like <laughs> what? What? But yeah. yeah. But 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 when you put it in the perspective of light control and the survey agent, then suddenly it's more of a a ship unit, and it makes a lot more sense. Yeah. yeah. And it's one of the, it's one of those stories. Um, after reading the novelization, it's not like an aha moment. I get it. It's a uh, okay. It all kind of makes more a lot more sense. It does. It, it, it expounds on it. Just doesn't. You don't get the satisfaction. I think that well, you it, expect to get. Yeah, it depends on what you're going into it for. Yeah. I mean, if you're going into it hoping for a aha, I get it. Yeah. It all clicks. Uh, light bulb moments. I don't think it's going to be there. But if you read it and then you sit back and think about what you just read and what happened in it. What what you see on television makes a whole lot more sense. Yeah. I read 2001 A Space Odyssey, hoping for the light bulb moment. And I was very disappointed. <laughs> when you realized how close um, 
Well, that apparently that Stanley Kubrick Kubrick stayed to the book. (laughs) Apparently, Arthur C. Clarke loved the movie version so much that he completely altered the book (laughs) because the 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 book was written but hadn't been released. Right. Oh. And so they made the movie, and then he decided he was cutting out all of the stuff that wasn't in the movie. (laughs) And so the book version is almost exactly went from being a novel to a novelization. It is a novelization (laughs) of the movie. And, and and Arthur C. Clarke thought it was brilliant. And I was like, I'm not denying that. I just didn't understand it. Without derailing this too much more, um, because we really are here to talk about Ace, but I think the, the, the other fascination about Ghostlight, the novel, is the purpose for Nimrod, as I, I sort of talked about, and the purpose for the tooth that, he, that the doctor gives him that you see clearly see him give to Nimrod. There's a, it's expounded upon a lot a as more. to why he gave it to him and what that meant to Nimrod. And I thought that was you, really fascinating. I, I could always infer why, what it meant from the tele- television story, but seeing that backstory or reading about it and learning more about Nimrod well, helped helped it go, okay, yeah, that makes a lot Well, I, I think what the, what the television story does for me is it, 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 it's a moment where Nimrod – Puts his trust in the doctor because of the trinket. Yeah. And that's simply all it needs to do. For yeah, it's story. a totem of power. But the totem of power, then it, it's, it's expounded and explained to what it is and what has been bestowed on Nimrod as the uh, tail keeper or what was, what was he called? Tail teller or something yeah, like something that. Yeah, something like that. Um, because he is then empowered in – he's he, essentially – it's almost a realization that he's the keeper of his people's story and that he's the one that, that it's passed to. And that, that's like a token from a, like a god in order to, to get that. It's almost justification for your um, purpose or your classification. So it, gotcha. it, it really meant a lot more when it, in well, reading it. And it also helps explain why he would turn his back on this entity that he was worshiping previously. Yeah, yeah. In, in light later in the episode makes him at least second guess. Yeah, his decision yeah. to it doesn't make him as wishy washy. I think that that's the problem with the the television story. I always thought he turned on a dime, even though there's a there's a reason for it because he gives him the the tooth. It was a tooth or a claw? It was a tooth? It was, okay. it was, a, it was a tooth. Yeah, it's too small to be a claw, I suppose. Um, but anyway, when he gives him the tooth, it, it, it makes sense. But it almost seems like he was just – it was like, okay, now I'm going to follow the doc- – now I'm going to do you know what the doctor's – I agree with what the doctor's doing. Whereas in the book, it's more of a, okay, maybe I'm wrong in worshiping light and in, in being so reverent to light. Now the doctor's on equal par. So now I have to make a decision, which because as the keeper, I need to decide who – so it really gives him more of a a, a authority to, to decide for himself as opposed to just going, okay, now I'm with the doctor. <laughs> yeah. And you can't do that on television. You can't do that in three uh, – was it three or was it four three. stories? Okay, you can't do that in three stories. I mean three episodes. And I think there were some additional scenes that, that they probably filmed because I know there are deleted scenes on the DVD uh, that were in the book. That obviously didn't make it in television, and that helped a lot of. It seemed like a lot of the Nimrod stuff well, was cut. I think I when I, when I watched the documentary, they talked about there's a lot more that got wiped. I know a lot did for Curse. 
Oh, it was cursed. It was, yeah, it was cursed when cursed. I watched the, the yeah. cursed documentary. Yeah, uh, there was a lot of stuff from cursed that got wiped because they thought, well, we're not going to use it. And so it's not even on TV, <laughs> unfortunately. Anyway, yeah. So anyway, Ghostlight. I recommend reading the novel yeah, because absolutely. it does expound on on what the what the television story. It, there's like Keith said, there's no aha. This all makes sense now, but it really it lays it out more. I, and I think rewatching. Ghost oh, yeah. gives you more and more insight. Oh, I got time. so much more yeah. out of it the second time. And I think I, I think one, on third, so. fourth, fifth viewing, you probably would even get more. But Ghostlight really, do, it's almost the crib notes for <laughs> for uh, <laughs> Ghostlight because you get you get a lot more reading Ghostlight, the novelization. So, what about the uh, Fenric? Was were there deleted scenes that got wiped that dealt specifically with Ace? That yeah, but the, from what I understood on that, it was it. From what I saw, it was like some action stuff that yeah. got to cut, and so that's why some of the stuff was close-up cutaways. Yeah. Uh, okay. In fact, uh, yeah, that's what it was. It was a lot of there was a lot of there was a lot of up close shots of Ace that would have had also accompanied uh, wide action scenes as well, and so it. In fact, there's there's at one point in the church where I felt like it. It almost felt like clip after clip after clip, and I thought that's that was an odd direction to do. And I think that was some of that. It would have been clip, broaden out, clip, broaden out, and it would have made it a little more aesthetic. Because <laughs> <laughs> um, obviously, the feel of Fenric is is very much that the important emotional weight of that is. I mean, I think that's in there. Well, you do oh, that yeah, all close absolutely. up too. So yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think they, they they nailed. Oh, they do. They certainly do. And I don't think anything that got wiped ruined anything. I mean, I think it just would have maybe kind of moved the story a little. It would have just. It, I think it was more aesthetic than it would have been anything. It was just. It wouldn't have felt as clipped together. Yeah. And I only remember one place. It sounds like there was a lot that they lost, but uh, I only saw one place where I noticed that I thought. Could have shot that differently, <laughs> and obviously they did shoot it differently. Yeah. They just weren't able to use it. It's interesting. Uh, his, his crib notes for uh, *Curse of Fenrir* concludes that it has its flaws too, particularly as a vampire story. For example, the Russian soldier's fear of nightfall is pretty irrelevant since we can't afford nightfall. <laughs> so they simply couldn't shoot at night. Yeah, they did attack during the day. So, <laughs> so, so the, the, the first solution was, what do we do? What if they had this big, gigantic black mist that rolled in? And then somebody from the prop department said, we can't do the black, it's toxic, you're going to get white smoke. <laughs> <laughs> Thus it became the mist. <laughs> okay. It worked, though, still. Oh, yeah. It, it really worked. It didn't... It didn't they do specifically say, though, that they're, they're afraid, afraid yeah. of nightfall. Yeah. Well, poor misguided fools. <laughs> Just <laughs> another didn't matter. myth that didn't come true. Yeah. Uh, apparently, a fun bit of it was that John Nathan Turner was concerned that the show would be too horrific. He did not want to do a vampire story. At one point, this would have given me cause for panic. By now, I'd learned to be resourceful to get things to work on Doctor Who. So we simply went through the Curse of Fenric scripts and removed every reference to vampires, replacing it with a word that Ian had coined, hemovores, or blood eaters. <laughs> the substitution did the trick. <laughs> he said they did the same thing for uh, Silver Nemesis, that they didn't want to do Nazis, that that was, it was forbidden, you're not allowed to do that. So they just simply made them paramilitary. And then all of a sudden it was fine, despite the fact there's a swastika hanging on the wall. <laughs> in the, you know, it's like, yeah, okay, sure, why not? So... 
the, 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 the funness of that. But uh, what was the story I wanted to tell you specifically about uh, Fenric with Ace? I like the, as you're looking for that, I yeah. kind of like the, the well, as cheesy as it could come off, the fact that her name is Dorothy Gale McShane. It's funny that it starts off with her being swept up by a time storm and taking off uh, and taken to Ice World. Or Oz. I mean, it's it's where it's, she meets a wizard, pretty much. Yeah, it's very much that because yeah, Dragonfire has those elements of Wizard of Oz yeah. all the way down to the Dorothy Gale, and beyond that, it doesn't parallel. It's more of a almost Alice in Wonderland than it is Wizard of Oz from that point on. But it is really kind of interesting that they took that approach of, of a time storm. Lifting Dorothy Gale up and removing her from Kansas or Perryville in this case, and I think that part of me wants to go, "Oh, that's just silly," but it's not. <laughs> For some reason, it, it's completely viable, I think, and I, I almost like the nod to the wizard. Do you like the Wizard of Oz? <laughs> I like I like the nod to that. I like the fact that there's a little piece of that in Doctor Who, but we don't, you know, we don't completely justifies my existence well, now. We, <laughs> We don't substitute somebody for the lion or the oh, scarecrow yeah. or the just, wizard. Or, well, for... we do sort of the wizard, but or you know any any of that. But we the, the the story still sort of parallels, you know. I think what makes it believable is we don't see it. Yeah, that happens off true. camera, so we just kind of take their word for that's what it was. In fact, if we had seen it, I probably would have thought it was a little cornball. Yeah, because there's no way they could do that justice in that time period. Yeah. That would have been a transmit. I mean, well, being yeah. okay. Here I am. Now react. Where am I? Well, uh, just the idea of it, it's a time storm that we believe is devised by her own. That she blew herself. She, up. Yeah, basically yeah. that she she was experimenting with explosives, and at the time we think she created some sort of time storm that basically transplanted her, and to find out later that it was completely. A setup by Fenric was just like <gasps> that. That helps make it even more. Believable it does it really because does. it's this alien menace that's exactly doing whatever force or technology they have on somebody, as opposed to her somehow making an explosion and well, and it, it, blasting herself to another dimension. It justifies Ace too, from this uh, a little bit from the standpoint that I don't know that I would trust her with explosives <laughs> if this is what I believed, you know, had happened yeah. to her. Um, but then. Finding this out is like, oh, yeah, go blow something up. <laughs> you know what you're doing. There's no danger here. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I, I particularly made a reference to this because we talked about it when we, when we did uh, uh, Fenric with the, uh, the seduction scene. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> unfortunately, he only comments, he says, there's a scene where he seduces a guard to distract him, and it has some fascinating dialogue, which is almost blank verse. Is he making the right moves or just going through the motions? In fact, Ian and I had to hastily adjust the dialogue in this scene to account for unseasonable weather conditions on location. We had snow in April. Oh. Originally, it featured lines like, too hot, clothes sticking to me. Those lines were greeted with howls of cynical laughter by the freezing crew. <laughs> so Ian came up with, there's a wind whipping up, I can feel it through my clothes. <laughs> but unfortunately, that's the extent of the... That's you know, it. That's and I, you, that, that was one of the... All was, you get for probably one of the most awkward moments in Doctor Who. I was history. reading that going, okay, I hope he's going to really delve into this now. And No, just, just kind of glazed over it. So It's still, it's still one of those scenes, scenes that... 
is very tame, especially to today's standards. But really, still watching it makes me feel uncomfortable. Yeah, yeah. And I'm probably because of the the aspect of you know her age roughly, I and mean, because I mean she started out with him at 16, but I mean she could have had a birthday or two. Closer to womanhood at that point, but then it's it, what makes it even worse is the the implication that she actually slept with uh, Glitz when she was sixteen. So it's just there's, 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 there's <laughs> yeah, a few, going back. There's a few awkward moments in there that it just and then there's the uh, hitting on maybe uh, age of, yes maybe age of consent is younger. It's it's <laughs> it's funny that you mention that because I remember I remember thinking when we when we had the discussion about Dragonfire and how. Powerful that scene was, and yet at the same time, how yeah. that that it just it just bothered all three of us. I think yeah, we're a little yeah, yeah. we're a little bothered by it. But um, th- this one, despite its awkwardness, had so many shades of that yeah. that uncomfortable it's nature creepy. to it. And I, d- I don't know if it's because it, you know I mean it's Ace. And it, but at, <laughs> at this point, at this point, she has matured a lot. She's so matured a lot. Had, had that scene come a lot earlier in her storyline, it would have been almost off-putting. But it's it like I say, it's tamed to today's standards, and it's 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 almost accept. Even though it's uncomfortable and awkward, it's acceptable because maybe as much as she had grown, as much as she had matured by this point. Maybe it, it works better on that level. And see, because I, I don't know that if, if, if Sarah Jane had been given this particular assignment in this line of dialogue that she volunteered to go seduce the guard, I would I would not have I would have bought it. Well, you she's know, a grown sure. woman. <laughs> if Rose had, and, and they they even make the joke about it in uh, Unearthly Child, <laughs> or not Unearthly Child, um, Empty Child. Oh, that you know. Well, you're not his type, yeah. <laughs> you know. But yeah. but but we get to that moment where it's like, okay, I'll go seduce the guard, and and so it's just, I don't know why it's it, it's got to be the age thing. That's I, the only I, thing I, I think. Can come well, I think that, because even Rose was 19 when she started traveling with the doctor. I think though because when the new series returned, they made no bones about the type of character that Rose was. Whereas with Ace, we're introduced to her as this rebellious sixteen-year-old, and so She's a lot more tomboy too. Yeah, so automatically you're, you're, you've planted a lot of ideas about a different type of Ace than we get to it by the point we get to Fenric. Whereas Rose was consistently—I don't want to say Rose was promiscuous, but <laughs> but Rose was consistently a different type of. That's female. true. She'd already had what three different boyfriends by the time. So of, uh, she <laughs> she was definitely a different That's type. Different. I mean, we we always joke about how Mickey and her ran off and did the nasty, <laughs> knocked some boots there in was it Boomtown when they ran off to. Oh, I mean. Yeah. We always joke that that's probably what happened on the screen, and it, we we joke about it. And and she's, she's still a young woman, but it, it's almost acceptable there. <laughs> but just but then you have this awkward scene <laughs> where she's just seducing the guy, and you see the whole thing, and nothing hinky happens. But it just it's just very awkward. It's maybe because also our perspective of classic who we grew up with it as young kids, or Sean and I at least. <laughs> and we, we, even 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 Keith puts it in the the mentality to, that the, it was then it was it, it was a kids show yeah. it was a kids show I mean that's what they, even though 
we all know by the time the Seventh Doctor era came around, they were no longer wanting to be a kids show. But oh, I'm pretty sure the moment Leela showed up, so when that Doctor was- <laughs> Who returned, we kept saying we kept calling it a family show, and it felt more grown up, and it felt more, and, and mostly because those of us that watched it when we were young, we were much older now, and so they were targeting us, especially as individuals that were young when this was on, on in the first place. So. Maybe that has something to do, do with Maybe it. Maybe that's it, yeah. There's a division. Because once the movie comes around, it, it feels a lot more grown up. It feels a lot more to adult. And the kissing scene, the, uh, some of the even just dialogue that's mentioned is, is, is much more older, targeted to older older people. Well, and yeah. and because the dark, the final season specifically of Sylvester's run was much darker and much more adult, when we sit down to watch Classic Who, we're used to what came before. And that's true, and too. And so it, it, as I mentioned last week, with Curse, how Ace is kind of a template, how people have said Ace was a template for future uh, companions in the modern series and how I see that more now. Well, now with that whole season in perspective, it's kind of going in that direction also. Well, yeah. also... The Seventh Doctor era, while they were trying to do things a little more uh, with a deeper purpose and plot and a darker Time Lord and a more with some more adult themes, you got to remember we still got a seven foot candy man. It's true, and we got a, 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 a dog, a puppet dog that was you know, <laughs> I mean, while he's vicious, he was still a puppet. And we got, you, you know, got we, Jones and Chris Fenrick. Yeah, we got little things that were, you know, still made it look like very much like a, a yeah. children's television program. So maybe those peppered in is what makes it even worse. That <laughs> we've got this one scene here that's very adult. I, I can, it might just be simply down to the. I mean, there's a lot of heavy science fiction. Um, which a circus is, and clowns would be another oh, example yeah. in. Uh, yeah, the the, there's a, there's a lot of, and this is something that Cartmel was striving for was wanting to tell, you know, real hard hitting science fiction stories as opposed to just science fiction trappings, yeah. which is something he felt had come before. And I think in these three stories in particular, when you look at Ghostlight, when you look at Fenric, when you look at um, um, survival, certainly the core idea in survival with the, you know this planet is affecting you and you're becoming animalistic, and I mean there's some that that's okay, that's deep, you know. Fenric with the idea that we've set up this time trap that goes all the way back to the beginning of her her run with the doctor and stuff is like okay that's and, and that she meets her mother and you know all of a that's some hardcore yeah. stuff there and then in um, uh, the first one Ghostline Ghost I mean <laughs> we could spend volumes talking about <laughs> sorry how, how deep Ghostlight is um, so I think that maybe that has an element of it as well. That the, 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 while the storytelling was growing up and the stories that they were telling were a little more grown up, that it made sense that they would move in that direction. And I think that also lends to why it, it feels much more like a template yeah. for for New Who. That it's you know, and, and Moffat has said that well, before and, too. And that if you go back story. and watch Survival and then go back and watch Rose, which it kind of angers me that he leaves out the movie, but that's okay. <laughs> that he's just he's just trying to illustrate the tie between the two mm-hmm. yeah. eras. Well, and and to some extent, well, in telling the story from the companion's perspective as well, it's just yeah. yeah. And to and to some extent, Ace has also been, as I said, very tomboyish, and she hasn't had a lot of aside from Dragonfire in that one scene. She hasn't had a lot of instances in her run where she was romantically involved with yeah, somebody or true. showed more feminine feminine yeah, yeah provocations yeah. or whatever and and there we get this we get more of that 
incurs with the scene and then with her kind of later with the quasi romance that she got. Yeah. Maybe that would... it almost reverts her back to classic companion stereotypes and tropes that Ace did not take part of throughout her entire run. Yeah. Maybe that's, that's the difference. Wife, so ma- ma- maybe if she'd had a a uh, a marriage proposal or two. Yeah. Um, by this point, she but, had a possible love interest somewhere in the line run before. Because I like more. You could buy it a bit. More. Well, and I like the the, the the almost love interest that we kind of get with her and the and the Russian guy because that seems very like maybe that's where we're heading with the two of them. And I know yeah. you'd mentioned that you thought it felt rushed, but it did feel. A I, rushed, I just I just felt like I, it was there. It wasn't developed enough for were, me yeah. to feel rushed. I don't think it was just well, like little. Maybe pep- that's the problem. Is it wasn't there. necessarily. That it was rushed, just there wasn't enough time for development. Right. So we got we had to get from A point A to A point B too quickly. Yeah. Um, I would have liked to have seen her with your Kranos. <laughs> I think that <laughs> she'd have made a good warrior queen. <laughs> <laughs> He'd have picked her immediately. Oh, I know. Oh, right? You, my next wife. <laughs> Die. Ah, uh, well, let's wrap up she, our... She should have dropped some Nitro 9 on <laughs> <laughs> Let's wrap up our ACE discussion. Is there anything else that uh, you think is poignant to touch upon, especially within the ACE trilogy, which is kind of our focus? As with most things, we tangented a lot. It, um, I, I think, it, uh, for me, the series ends... For, for all the years that I didn't get to explore... Sylvester when I was younger and and even part of uh, the Sixth Doctor. And hearing all of the stories of, of the, the, the demise and how, you know, what could it be, what could be and never was, I really think that the Ace Trilogy, in my mind, even though I would have liked to have seen it go on, really is a, 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 um, a marvel for Classic Who. It's really a solid... Ending for how many thirty some years of television by that point? You know, I think it's it's nearly thirty. Twenty seven, twenty six years, twenty six seasons of television. It to end on such a solid ground as those three. Even for, in my opinion, survival being the weakest of the three, it's still a great story. It's still a good story. It's still it's still a, a very impactful story. So. For something to go thirty years, nearly thirty years, and end as solid as those three stories, I think it had. Uh, thank goodness it's come back and it, it's 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 got renewed life. But had that been the end, and that ended on such solid footing, I'm actually kind of satisfied. I would have been. It went okay. out on a it high. It went notes. out on a high note. It yeah. really did. For as rocky as it got there through the end of. Collins era, and even in the beginning of Sylvester's era, I think it still was rocky. It, it finally found some solid ground before it went off. Hiatus. <laughs> <laughs> On to hiatus. It makes you wonder what uh, what a season 27 uh, would have brought. You know, I mean, obviously we've gotten, we, we know from well, Andrew Cartmel said, and, and know, from what other people have said, but but just, I mean, Andrew, what, we're all on a first name. We're on, you know, friend of the show, <laughs> Andrew Kerman. But, but what would have been, you know, I mean, we, we, we know, as I said, w- what he has said that they wanted to grow. But would the stories that would entail the direction they wanted to go, 
would they have been as good? Would they have been as solid? Would they have been as? I think as, it could have been televised. Well, easily, yeah. had, exactly. I mean, would we've gotten they, some of the? Would it, would it have maintained that status? Had they maintained the guidance by Andrew Cartmel, I think that certainly yes, we would have gotten it. I think what would have happened, especially hearing what you're talking about of his discussion in the book, I would have imagined he would have gotten frustrated with having to jump through the hoops and having to use some such subterfuge, 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 in order to get things in that they wanted in. I think that would have been very grating on him, and, and, and at some point he would have had to have stepped aside and somebody else would have come in. And if they had caved to the powers, whereas he was basically manipulating the powers, that he and he had the next person in line caved, then I think we would have gone back to the status quo and it would have we would have gone even more downhill than I think is perceived. I, that, that's the problem is I think there's this perception that Doctor Who was on a downhill slope and continued on a downhill slope until its demise. And that's why I think I'm most encouraged by the way that the – the classic series ended ended on a high note because while it felt like it was slipping, I think it was actually on the uphill grade before it, it finally got kiboshed altogether. So could it have maintained the uphill slope? Yes, but how long? For how long? Yeah. How, for how long would Andrew Cartmel wanted, Cartmel wanted to put up with that? How long would J&T have had to stay in a job that he – as made in the in the past when he was still alive, made no bones about the idea that he was exhausted of Doctor Who and was really only hanging on to it for the fans. I mean, it's they both if they had both stepped aside, who knows where it would have gone? I guess yeah, we I, never I, will. I, I, we I think never have it back I think you would have gotten maybe another good season before it imploded, and and for for the very reasons that you just said because of the the poisonous atmosphere at the BBC um, from people who, you know, were actively trying to just get rid of it and and, and let it be done to the people that simply didn't get it, as he points out several times throughout it, that, you know, even the, even the people working on the show, sometimes that, you know, they would have a soccer match on (laughs) that they were watching on this monitor while they, the filming was going on over here. And it's like, you know, you do your job. Focus over here on those. Um, And so, just, just the fact that you know, so many times that and, and Battlefield was another great example. He referenced in the book that you know these these knights wearing a, a robotic armor it was supposed to be like servos and gears, like power loader kind of armor, and they read knights suits of armor and gave them suits of armor. And the, <laughs> the writer to this day, he says, I've watched five minutes of Battlefield. I can't get any further into it than that. <laughs> he says, I'm just, oh, no. And, you know, I, sh- I shouldn't have wrote Knight. I should have wrote Android. I should have wrote something more that, that you know, would have given them a, a robot. I should have said robot. That but just that, that kind of stuff. And I think you're right. I think that they would have eventually had somebody that would have come in and, you know, whether we got to the end of, of, of Ace and with what they wanted to do with her character or not, I think eventually it either would have caved or somebody else would have come in who caved to what the BBC wanted, and then it would have been yeah, yeah. a really sad representation of, of what it once was. And then it would have died a true death. Yeah, and I, it may not have been able to come back from that. Yeah. So the fact that it did end on a high note, I mean, I think I think Sylvester and, and Sophie and, and Cardinal, was, I mean, we, we owe them all a great gratitude that we have the ability to come back and hit upon this again in 96 and then again in 2005. <laughs> Agreed. All right, Sean, we get coming up on the schedule. 
Well, coming up next on the schedule, uh, we're doing um, Keith and I. You now you've decided you're not going down at some point. I'll or? be in Tulsa. Oh, that's right. You're going to Tulsa, so you're not going to be there. Oh. But Keith and I, at some point in time this weekend, are both going to be attending Kansas City Comic Con uh, this weekend, featuring guest of honor Colin Baker. So for Friday Night Who this week, we will be doing Attack of the Cybermen. Yay! So uh, and that one is still readily available. As far so. as we know, <laughs> I've not checked. <laughs> um, so you should, you, if you don't have it, it's one you need to own anyway. Um, but uh, that'll be Friday night. Who and then we'll be regaling you with all kinds of fun stories from Kansas City Comic Con uh, next week and uh, some of our adventures there. And if you're in the neighborhood, obviously come down and and, and check it out. Uh, we're working on finalizing the next bits of schedule before we get into the the, the run up to season uh, or the next bits of schedule will be the run up to season nine. He want to say eight? No, what is it? It's nine. It's nine. It is nine. See, I don't even know what season it is. The next Capaldi season. I coming. keep trying to call it ten, so you're <laughs> doing better than I am. Well, technically, it is ten. <laughs> that at least kind of makes if sense. You count if the you count the specials, <laughs> but um, so we're uh, we're working on finalizing that for you, and um, obviously, uh, you know. If you if you like this show, thank you very much for liking it, and uh, like us on Facebook, and follow us on Twitter, and uh, support us through Patreon, and all those other fun things. Are the uh, spreadsheets uh, uh, has that been updated again? No, I still have a design to add. Forgot. Uh, <laughs> Sean submitted a, a really cool design, and I, I forgot to. I was just asking. I forgot to link it. So I was just asking. Maybe maybe before you go to Tulsa. Yeah, I'll get it before this week. <laughs> I'll probably do it in between waiting for this to uh, buffer and <laughs> do all the crazy things it does uh, while I'm editing it. So Uploads and processing and all the things that it does. All those... Rendering. Yeah, rendering. All those little downtime things that I go, okay, okay, now I got 10 minutes. Okay, now I got 20 minutes. Let's go. I suppose we should. Wait, I tease you a lot. I suppose I, I should offer my thanks to you as the the technical guru behind this. Not only the brainchild, but the, the the one who's responsible for getting us out each week and doing all the heavy lifting. I do my best. Well, thank you for good that. Good job. Thank you. You 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 make me look good, and so I, <laughs> sound, even, sound good. Even even when you're making me look like an idiot, you still make me look pretty good. So. Uh. I'm pretty good at doing both. It's a fun job. Isn't it? <laughs> so, yeah. All right. Well, if that's going to do it for this week, until next week, I'm Glenn. I'm Sean. I'm Keith. Cheers. Good night, everybody. Be seeing you. You have been listening to Traveling the Vortex. Doctor Who and all of its associated programs are owned and trademarked by the BBC. No infringement is intended or implied.